expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are, episode 75 of Down and Nerdy. Now, I know Batman just turned 75. He got a day named after him. We, not so much. Yeah, we're kind of working on that right now. But speaking of birthdays, really quick, I want to talk about your little man turned one this week. That's right. My little boy, Jameson, turned one year old with a big, we had a big party over the weekend. You were there, of course, and Cody was there. Of course, I'm James with him alongside. The Merkle One-Armed Nick Pataglia. You know what I also just realized is that this is, last year I wasn't here at this time. No, you weren't. We were, you were actually on maternity leave. Yep, I was doing my maternity leave. <laughs> so <laughs> this is my don't first. Call it, don't be one of those people that call it like maternity leave or whatever. I hate, one thing I hate is people say like, oh, we're doing like a staycation or we're doing like a, 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 a ladies <laughs> whatever. You know, they put, like man, like or they, put like, or they put like man in front of whatever word. It's like, you're just a douche when you do that. You, you, don't, you don't like the combination of words, huh? No, I don't. I did that just to piss you off. Yeah, because you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> but no, it was a great time at the party. We did like a, a little um, a mudder, like a little obstacle course. I know. I was and uh, it was, I'm just letting everybody know oh, yeah. what we did. It was It was a lot of fun. He even ran it too. Well, ran's not really the right <laughs> word. He, he crawled. He crawled it. He crawled it. By so way, that was a lot of fun. I gotta ask, has he uh, destroyed his Hulk toy yet or anything like that? No, he did get the uh, the Funko, uh, the plushy Funko yeah. Hulk. And no, he hasn't destroyed it yet. He is. He does like throwing it though. <laughs> and it's it's the Hulk, so he can take it. <laughs> does he throw it at you? No, he's actually just kind of slams him on the ground, kind of thing. So I guess Jameson mad. Jameson slam Hulk to ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, but that, again, happy birthday to Jameson out there. And here's the thing too: is we got a pretty exciting show. But quick, let's recap. Last week's show was doing pretty well out there. Of course, last week we. Sat down with Robert Venditti, who, of course, is a New York Times bestselling author. He also writes Book of Death and Exo Manowar for Valiant. And, again, great interview. We got another great one lined up uh, this week, James. That's right. Make sure you get in Book of Death. It's at your local shop right now. So make sure you go out and grab Book of Death number two. But this week, we're talking about major motion pictures here, nerds and nerdettes, because we've got the Maze Runner coming out in September, and we've got... Dexter Darden, who plays Frypan on the Maze Runner, we're going to be talking to him about a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Exactly. We're talking about, of course, the Maze Runner Scorch Trials, which comes out September 18th. So go see that when it comes out. And we're going to talk about a bunch of other cool things as well. But come up next, get out those long boxes because it's time to discuss what we're reading. It's all right here on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is Robert Venditti, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We got those long boxes. We discuss what we're reading. Of course, this segment's always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and check out all the great things he has for your little, tiny, and thoughtful nerd heart. So, James, I'm going to have you go first because this issue of the comic you read, well, it was a pretty big one. Yeah, it was Batman number 43, of course, by... DC Comics, who else would be doing it? Who else would be <laughs> writing it but Scott Snyder and it pencils by Greg Capullo. Danny Miku, who's done a really good job with the inks uh, since taking over with that. And it's, I always screw up this name. Faux Placenia. Okay. I'm going to go with that. Let's go with that. Uh, Steve Wands does the letters. And of course, uh, Capullo and company 
also doing the the cover art for this issue and at first you kind of think by the cover because mr bloom's on the cover and he's the new villain that's going to be going in this arc you kind of think that you're going to get more into mr bloom but actually what you're getting is you're finding out what's really going on with bruce wayne and what really happened because you know we saw him come back in the very first issue when the series was kind of, I don't want to say rebooted, but when Commissioner Gordon became Batman and everything like that. When you look at the cover, I got to say this. With Mr. Blue on that cover, it's literally, I I got one of the more most uneasy psychological like mm-hmm. things. Like, you know, you're kind of looking at a psychopath in a sense. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at the cover, you're, you're, to me, I get that whole uneasy feeling, which is a good feeling in a sense. But and it's it's very creepy, and and I'm yeah, gonna get that's into what that. It is. The creep factor is just up there, dude. I'm gonna get into that here here in a couple minutes, but I gotta tell you the emotional roller coaster, because Clark Kent is in Gotham trying to figure out what's going on with Bruce Wayne, okay. trying to figure out what's happening with Batman and everything like that. Of course, remember uh, for anybody that didn't read Endgame, the city basically collapses on Batman and the Joker during one of their final battles. So, we're all, is Bruce Wayne dead? Is he not dead? And then, of course, he shows back up in Gotham, but he's not the same Bruce Wayne. Okay. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil the issue for anybody that might not have read it. But something happened during that accident that changed the chemistry of his brain. So basically, and this might be a little bit of a spoiler alert, so I'll, I'll kind of warn you on that. I won't give you the details. He doesn't have any recollection of his training, of what happened to his parents, nothing. So pretty much he's got he got a good hit in the head and just he lost his memory pretty much. Well, he 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 Alfred explains it all to him. Yeah. And he retains it. He remembers it in a way, but he sees it as more of a third party, third person kind of thing. Like there was one point in the issue where he's like I mourn for this kid that lost his parents, oh, but I don't man. feel for that anger. I don't feel that anger that that child felt. Wow. So it's like he's the thing that made him Batman is gone mm-hmm. completely. And it's just, I mean, if you read it, the, it goes page after page talking about this and it is gut wrenching. And then there's at one point where Clark Kent's basically saying we need him to be Batman again. And Alfred takes a pretty firm line. With Clark Kent. Let me just, I'll just put it that way. You have to read the issue to find out. There's also something. Batman's final invention. Before all the accident happened. Is revealed. And it is pretty unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Batman. The, the, the gist of it was. Batman could live forever. Wow. Kind of thing. So it's just very interesting. And that's not completely out yet. And then. Here we are with Mr. Bloom and Commissioner Gordon, who kind of wants to investigate this without the powers company that absorbed uh, Wayne Enterprises. He's kind of like, I don't want them to see everything that I do. So they had a new bat suit made for him. So they couldn't, because they monitor everything through that mechanized suit that he wears. Yeah. So he wanted to try and get the jump on Mr. Bloom on his own. So he goes to investigate this building, and there's a lot of creepy stuff going on. And we're kind of getting little bits and pieces about what's going on with Mr. Bloom, who's basically giving people powers Yeah. through these little pills. And it's very weird. Now, at the end of the issue, Mr. Bloom gets confronted by one of Gotham's most notorious villains. I don't want to tell you who it is, because something happens at the end of this issue where one of the biggest Batman villains of all time... Maybe dead. Really? 
I'm just going to leave it right there. Batman number 43. This is a pull for me. This series has been a pull for me from the beginning. With this, this was the issue where if you were on the fence about Gordon as Batman or continuing with this series at all, this is the issue that made you go, I'm sold. I'm in. Because I wasn't on the, actually after the first issue, I was in because I was very interested to see what they did with it. I thought that it was a good transition. It felt right. This issue was the, because it was the third issue since it came back, this was my I'm in issue. So if you if it was your three-issue rule, this would have been the one that got you. So here's a question. If, again, you mentioned if people haven't read Endgame, here's what happens, da, da, da. If you didn't read Endgame or really any Batman comics up to that point within the current run, can you pick up issue 43 and not be lost, or do you have to go back and read Endgame to get the full gist of everything? I don't think you need to read Endgame, but I would get issues 41 and 42 because there is some stuff that will be a little lost in the shuffle if you weren't reading it there. I mean, you've still got time to do that. The trade for Endgame, I think, is is either out or coming out soon. So if you want to read Endgame, it was a very good arc, so you can still read it, but you don't need to read it to pick up with issue 41 where Gordon actually becomes Batman. So you can skip Endgame if you like. The references that they make to it, they explain it in as you go, so you, right. you won't feel lost, so no. Well, that's your comic, so I decided to go kind of the DC but more IDW route because IDW is the publisher that put out this book and this series, the six-part series. Uh, I did Star Trek Green Lantern Spectrum War number two, and it's a monthly release. Now, it's written by Mike Johnson. The art is done by Angel Hernandez. The colors are done by Alejandro Sanchez. And letters by Neil Utaki. And edits are done by both DC and IDW, which is actually a good thing that you, when you oh, yeah. open the book. Because that way, you can see, because this is Green Lantern, and DC has a hand in how maybe this was written and everything else. Now, I will say this. When you do see the issue for number two, you see the cover, which is done by Paul Pope. The cover art is not that good. Mm. It's not. But the inside is totally better, again, because it's done by someone else. Um, I'm not sure what the style uh, Paul Pope was going for. But anyways, the plot. Now, going back, I'm going to give you a brief history of number one. Uh, going back to issue one, the Star Trek team pretty much using this series as one from the current films, like the Chris Pine era. Mm-hmm. So in issue one, a Klingon ship is about to attack the Enterprise, and Scotty uses the tachyons on the multiple rings because the crew went to this planet that had no life on it, and they see actually one of the Guardians there, and he has he's all skeletonized. And he has all the lantern rings with him. Like every single color you can think of, he has right in front of him. Wow. Somebody was chasing him. So the crew goes onto the planet, finds him, puts him on the ship, Puts the rings in this little box, and Sky says, I want to do one more thing. I want to run the tachyons through them. And by doing that, they turn on the rings, and the rings go and do their ringly duties and right. find new wearers. So, and this is actually kind of brilliant the yellow ring is now being worn and chosen by Chang, the Klingon. So, Chang is now a yellow lantern, Chekhov is now chosen as a blue lantern. Bones is an indigo lantern, and Uhura is a star sapphire. Wow. Yes. That's interesting. And issue one ends with Hal Jordan shielding the Enterprise from the Klingon attack, saying, hey, I see you got my friend in there. Why do you have him? Kind of thing. So issue two picks up right where issue one left off. Now, there's a panel where Chang emits a giant beast uh, mucktober from his ring, and it's beautiful. The art by... uh, The colors by Sanchez is great. The 
and the art by Hernandez is great. The colors by Sanchez really are just beautiful. They're not overpowering. They pop. They really cover. There's a part where, like, check out, because, you know, Blue Lanterns don't have any offensive powers. They pretty much power mm-hmm. up the Green Lanterns. They give them more power. There's a part where Chekhov is, like, helping Hal shield the Enterprise, and you have a mix of blue and green in there, and it's amazing. I think that the colors in any Green Lantern book are hugely important, not just because it's Green Lantern, and I'm saying that, but you need that book to pop, and especially when you're doing the combination like this, because I think colors are important in a Star Trek book as well. Exactly. Just to, just to kind of bring things out. So I like that the col- they got a good colors for this book, and I got a peek at the art on the inside of, of issue two as well. I was very impressed. I was pleasantly surprised at how good the art was. So I'm 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 glad to hear that the story matches that. Exactly. And the, the cool part of this of issue two is well, and Hal recognizes this. Well, where did the red and the orange ring go? And the red ring ends up going to this lizard prince who's like, I want to kill my father, and he has all this rage. And it's like, you have been chosen by the Red Lanterns. And so he's a Red Lantern. So now you're wondering, where did the orange ring go? Well, it goes to a Romulan. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And pretty much shit is going to get serious in issue three and so on. And what I love about the writing is, is this, is what Mike Johnson is. Everything doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem forced on how... The certain Star Trek characters get their rings. When they get the rings and they're chosen, you can see why. You know, Bones is an indigo because he has, you know, the compassion and the heart. You know, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's very thoughtful. And Chekhov, you know, see why he gets a Blue Lantern ring because, you know, he is pretty much very quick on his feet and powers up things and everything else. And, of course, Uhura, Star Sapphire, mostly predominantly female lanterns. And... But again, it's also with the whole compassion and love and everything right. else she has and level-headedness. And the end of issue two follows the, the way of issue one where you, you're introducing certain Green Lantern characters. Mm-hmm. And this one at the end, and you know what I'm talking about, James. Oh, yeah. Where it ends, and it ends with Chang, and there's somebody that comes along, and you're like, wow. And just the detail on the person's suit and how they look is amazing. This is a pull for me. I'm kind of upset that it's a monthly because I want issue three now. It doesn't oh, come yeah. Out, it doesn't come out until September. Um, but, yeah, Star Trek Green Lantern, The Spectrum War, number two, the whole series. So far, it's a definite pull for me. Go pick this up at your local shop. Before now, we move on, I wanted to ask you a question about the series so far. Okay. Um, when you do a combo like this, when you do a team-up, you tend – if there's a certain writer that's not familiar with a certain group of characters, sometimes one side of the writing is stronger than the other. So how does how does Mike how does Johnson do with the combination of writing both the Green Lantern sides and the Star Trek sides? Does it seem pretty even, or does one seem a little stronger than the other? As far as story concept goes, it's kind of falling a little bit more in the Star Trek realm. But however, the way they're doing the Green Lanterns is they're easing their mythology into the series. Okay, that's good. Okay. So it's not like going into it, well, you know, you expect people to know everything about Star Trek, everything about Green Lantern. You know, with this, it's a Star Trek-centric thing, and it's just like as you go along, Green Lantern shows up everything else. It's kind of like when you watch an old Scooby-Doo and, like, Batman and Robin are in it. So they're the secondary piece, but it doesn't necessarily feel that secondary. Exactly. Okay, I see what you're saying. So that was Star Trek and Green Lantern... Number two from IDW slash 
DC Comics. Nick says that's a pull for him. Batman number 43 from DC Comics. That's a pull for me. Well, that's going to do it for what we're reading. Of course, it's brought to you by five folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards. Come up next, we're going to be looking at the trailer for Victor Frankenstein, of course, starring Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy. And did it throw some electricity our way? Well, maybe not. We'll decide more and talk about it more. Come up next in Geek Tainment right here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Chad Hart, and you're listening to it's time for this week in geek tainment and you know what this time it's alive it's alive don't do that it's victor frankenstein don't i'm about to say just just no just stop i know <laughs> I wasn't, you gonna, go, wasn't gonna do it the whole time well, i know you might go for theatrics and everything like that but i mean come on it's you know. fun <laughs> it's, <laughs> if you say so uh <laughs> trust me it's fun so you should try it sometime. See, yeah. everybody at home or in their car, wherever they're listening to the podcast right now, they're all doing it. And, no, and, not, and, and you're not. Because I have dignity. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> but no, this week we are talking about the trailer for Victor Frankenstein. Of course, it comes from 20th Century Fox. And I got to tell you, when I watch this trailer, of course, it follows more Victor Frankenstein and Igor, but more likely, when you first watch the trailer, it stars, of course, James McAvoy as Victor Frankenstein and Daniel Radcliffe as Igor. And it looks like it's going to follow more of Igor's point of view because we do get his voiceover in the entire trailer. Um, when I watch this, I want to kind of get the little problems out of the way of it. Of course, it's set in England in the olden times, you know, Victorian esque era. My only problem is with these movies that are set in like London around these times. You look at stuff like this, Van Helsing, uh, Sherlock Holmes, they all have the same tone and it's really hard to distinguish one from another. It's funny you say that because I was going to say when when I watched this trailer, I got a very Sherlock Holmes vibe from it, you know, with the action sort of mixed in with there was a lot more humor in this even in the trailer than I would have even expected from this movie, especially when they were talking about it at San Diego Comic-Con this past year, about talking about Daniel Radcliffe getting thrown around a lot, and it seemed like it was going to be more of a serious tone, but then, no, it seems like there is going to be a little bit of wisecracking going on. It's Well, I mean, I guess you could kind of expect that from James McAvoy, but still. Right, but see, going to this trailer, you know, after everything we heard from Comic-Con, I thought it was going to be more of like a young Frankenstein-esque, kind of like a spinoff maybe or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I'll say this. Some of the good things about it that I did like, I like the fact that Igor is normal looking. Yes, and thank God for that. They didn't go for the whole creepy uh, servant-esque type. And it they seems took him more, a weird hairdo, though. Yeah, but also it seems more like in this movie that McAvoy actually recruits Igor. It's yes. not like he's his servant. He just recruits him. Yes. Uh, kind of like he has, he's going to be the... You know, the Watson, if you want to put it, since we're talking about Sherlock Holmes. But one thing I want to get to in the trailer is the practical effects and how things look. And if it's not practical effects, the way some of these monsters look, especially uh, when they're designing and it looks like they're piecing together Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like the aspect, too, where the detective comes in and he's like, we're here to investigate missing body parts. I'm like, okay, this is a good angle to take. I like that they're going with that angle. And like you said, when you actually do, you don't really get good full-on shots of the monsters, but the little bit that you do see, it does look really awesome. 
Oh yeah, there's a part where you know Frank and Victor is kind of like electrocuted. It looks like to be like a dog slash monkey wolf thing on a table, and then when he does it, it looks practical as hell. I'm like, wow, that's very detailed. As long like, as it's not half man, half bear, half pig, I think we're good. Man, bear, pig is real. I'm super ethereal about it. <laughs> Excelsior. Yes, <laughs> um, but no, I, watching this, I, I watched this a couple of times, and I still have a lukewarm feeling about it. Um, I'll, I'll probably still go see it, but again, my thing was just when you look at it, I'm kind of like, you know, when it comes to these types of movies, again, there's just something about these types of settings where it's hard to differentiate. You know, you can watch, I feel like you can watch Sherlock Holmes and Van Helsing in this movie back to back to back. And you can still probably feel as if it's the same movie. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I mean, what makes, uh, things like Doctor Who different, other than the time travel aspect. But again, that's and and same thing with uh, Sherlock Holmes, not the the Benedict Cumberbatch version, not the Robert Downey Jr. version. Uh, what makes those different? What makes those set apart? And even something like Downton Abbey, which I know is not a nerd thing, and I'm not a huge Downton Abbey fan per se, but for some reason those seem to be able to cut through that trope. So what is it? What do you think that this movie needs to do? Of course, it's just a trailer, so it might not be that way. So what does this need to do to kind of get away from that kind of style? Because I even felt the same way. It needs to capitalize on the horror element. And by horror, I don't mean, again, like things jumping out at you and stuff like that. I mean, yes, we're going to have monsters in there and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is it needs to capitalize on that horror element and make you feel scared that you're watching. And yes, have a couple parts of comedy in there but for the most part you don't want to go in here watch this and be like well it felt like i just watched uh van helsing because well, here's, that's you know here's my problem that, well and the thing is with that it's just it's really really tough because again with van helsing you feel like just from the tone of it and just from the way the things are looking i know it's just a trailer but i get that van helsing vibe of it they're going to make it more like an action adventure-esque kind of thing i think that it is going to be a little bit more on the action side but i, I do hope they incorporate some of the horror elements into it. The one thing that, that I noticed and the one thing that I worry about this is, especially with recent stuff is that I don't want the monsters to be just in the last 15 minutes of the movie that happened with Godzilla that happened with fantastic four with Dr. Doom we really didn't show up until the, the end of the movie. I hope that it's not all set up, set up, set up or, experimentation and then the last 15 20 minutes of the movie they're just balls to the walls monster 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 because i that's the one thing that i worry about the most going into with this is that that's going to happen not so much that maybe it's going to be a more action or adventure that's what i worry about more than anything else because really when you do a movie like this you still want that to be the star yeah i mean that's the thing is that when you look at this film again you want i want to build off of what you said like with fantastic four and godzilla Victor Frankenstein, I understand it's the title of it, but still, in the trailer, you see Frankenstein's monster, you see a couple other beasts in there. People go to these types of movies, they want to be scared, and they want to see the monsters. And with this, again, I know you guys are probably more centric around the, you know Igor and Frankenstein, but, you know, really, a lot of people I know are going to probably go see this because, well, A, if they're big Harry Potter fans and they're big... Daniel Radcliffe fans, they liked what he did in Horns and stuff like that. Same thing with X-Men, James McAvoy too. But people want to go to see the monsters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that part of it too is that they want to go... I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the failures before 
Frankenstein's monster. So if you're going to yeah. focus on something else, let's focus on that a little bit, because obviously the first thing that he builds isn't going to be a success necessarily. So let's see a couple of the failures and maybe that is what we're going to see. So I just hope we don't, if, if Frankenstein's monsters is the last 15 minutes or so of the movie, that's not a terrible thing, but at least give me something before that, that sort of brings in that creepy factor or that, or that uh, fear factor that you brought up. The last thing I'll say before we wrap on this is, I hope that this movie, when it comes to sort of like Victor Frankenstein and all the people in the universe dealing with monsters, I hope it's not a bunch of close calls. I where, know what you're saying. Where they yeah. have an encounter with the monster or, or a strange being, and they're close to death, and something happens. Like something scares them off, or something, they just go away, and it happens over and over again with different people. You know, it's just one of those things where, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe's going to get thrown around, but again... I want to see death in this movie. I want to see people get slaughtered, you know, because again, you're dealing with uh, these wolf as type beasts. And then of course, Frankenstein's monster, which really isn't really much of a killer per se. Um, well, not, not purposeful. Yeah. Not no, purposeful anyway. Misunderstood. So, but I think that when you saw the missing posters in that trailer, I do think that we will get a little bit of that aspect and hopefully we'll get, We'll be pleasantly surprised by Victor Frankenstein, but you shouldn't be surprised because coming up next, you know we've got a boatload of nerd news going to be coming at you, and it's right here on Down and Nerdy. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, nerds alike, where we go around the interwebs and see what in the world of geek tainment is trending, and we decide that it's time for what, James? Nerd news! And I want to start off with a question. So we all know that Marvel Studios and Disney's D23 Expo was over the past weekend. And a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff was shown. We're going to get into it in a little bit. But I want to start off with a question for you, James. I want to ask you this. Okay. So with all the success of D23, both in crowds and, and in trailers not being leaked online, will we see more studios abandon San Diego Comic-Con for their own expos where they have more control over security and what gets out. I think so because, I mean, it seems like San Diego has a lot of strict rules, like no streaming panels and stuff like that, whereas the, some of the videos of the panels of D23 were released the next day uh, after they happened. Plus, again, like you said, you have control over your own content. I think you have to worry less about leaks. Image is already doing their own Image Expo as well, so even even the, I guess, quote-unquote indies are trying to get into the mix as well. They had their own expo. I think as long as you have a place to do it, I think you absolutely should. I could see... Warner Brothers and DC doing their own thing and kind of combining forces like Disney does with with Marvel Studios and now Star Wars and doing their own thing. Plus, I mean, think about it. Remember when they when DC announced their film slate? It was not at Comic Con. Yeah. It was at their investor presentation, which is a little bit corporate. But I mean, if you made it more fun and you did what Disney did and you put out some of the concept arts and some of the suits from the movies and stuff like that, make it more Comic Con esque then I think that, yeah, why not do that? And I'm not saying that people should stop going to Comic-Con, but if you can make it more about you, because Comic-Con's never going to be about you. It's right. going to be about everything. If you make it about you, I think you can get more out of it. And I, I think that Marvel and Disney are very smart for doing it this way. I mean, here's the thing, is people... Like, Comic-Con relies a lot on Hall H. And which is hard of, to get into. Which is hard to get into, but now with the with way technology is, the way the internet is, as you mentioned, you know, you have panels that are up the next day and everything else. And 
stuff like that. I mean, even when we were doing covering SECC, the next day, you know, you had panels like, you know, I watched the Deadpool panel and stuff like that the next following day. Uh, but the thing is, is it still getting your product out there? Um, but again, I think that with this, we are going to see more people, I think, pull out of SDCC. I think primarily for the reason of, I think this year, if we've seen anything, a lot of people are kind of pissed that we're heads of studios that their shit got leaked. Yeah. Like, like I know we say, well, you know, was it more planned and everything else? Well, I'm sorry, but when, you know, cell phone video emerges of your trailer, I don't think that's planned. No, they don't have a plant in the crowd taking a cell phone video of the Deadpool trailer at San Diego. No, they don't do that. Obviously, you want your stuff to go viral. No matter how it happens, you want it to go viral because that's the world we live in now. And viral means everything in this world, even in the world of business now. Viral anything is starting to take over. So, I mean, if it happens, you're mad about it because you want to release it in your own way. But at the same time, if it goes viral... It still works. But no, I don't think they've got plants in the crowd shooting videos and stuff like that. And if you if you do it this way, if you do your own thing and something gets out, you have nobody to blame but yourself because right. you put the whole thing together. Whereas with this, you can go to the people at San Diego and go, hey, guys, what the hell? Didn't you check people at the door? Don't you have security? Well, Checking I know for people videoing stuff? I was listening to somebody talk about San Diego Comic-Con because they went. And they said that they were in one of the panels – and literally, an old woman went to him and said, "Can you take? Can you turn your phone off or take your take your, no phones allowed?" And he's got kind of like, you know, "Fuck you," you know, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, but if Gertrude tells me to put my phone away, I'm you know not going to be take her seriously. It's hard to respect that authority when that authority was up until eleven o'clock playing bingo the night before. Yeah, man. I'm sorry. I mean, I know respect your elders and all that, but. Come on, if some old lady walks up to you and says, Sir, I need you to turn off your cell phone right now, aren't you going to chuckle a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you got to have the Hulk up there and be like, Turn phone off now or I smash, something like that. Yeah. But at the same time, have legit security. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. So anyways, let's dive into the actual expo itself. So of course, it took over. It was in, it was in Hall 23 in Anaheim, California. Again, it was Disney's. D23 Expo, which gets thousands of people each year, pretty much, uh, to go. And so Kevin Feige uh, kicked things off by showing some Doctor Strange art, talked about some concept art for the costume, actually showed it, as you mentioned prior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, we got the brief synopsis, you know, about Doctor Strange, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch and Rachel McAdams and stuff like that are going to be in it. And, it's, you know, pretty much the whole scenario of, yes, he's a famous surgeon, cocky and arrogant, gets to an accident, hands are no longer, you know, can no longer use his hands, goes towards the path of enlightenment, like we do know in the normal, you know, I think it's, I think it's good Strange. that they're trying, I think that it's good that they're doing it that way, too. I think that this is, if there's a character where they need to stay really true to the comic roots, I think Doctor Strange is one of those characters. You know what I mean? You could take certain yeah. liberties with Guardians of the Galaxy or even Ant-Man to an extent, but I think this is one you really need to kind of stay in your lane sort of thing. Exactly. And you can't really drift away too much. Exactly. And the thing, too, is you know, I showed the costume. It said it's dead on from the comic, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. And again, this is a, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be out November 2016, November 4th, to be yep. exact. And again, you're getting to that route of we're getting to Doctor Strange and Black Panther. So when it comes to the suits, 
you need to stay as close to the material as possible, especially when, you know, in terms of plot and synopsis as well. So Doctor Strange happened. Then Anthony Mackie and Chris Evans came on stage to talk about Captain America Civil War. They showed the trailer. Now, I understand that there is a trailer floating around, which looks like cell phone footage. I'm sorry to say that I don't think it's the real trailer. No, I don't either. It, because, it just doesn't look right. No, because they said, and I, I've read what the trailer you know, was in the trailer. I've read the people who've been there yep. you know, said, okay, this is what happens in the trailer. And they said, no, Spider-Man. Well, what happens? We see Spider-Man in that trailer that's kind of, and people are saying, well, it's leaked. Sorry, Spider-Man's not in the trailer. No, um, but we did see Black Panther in the trailer. We did see we Black did Panther get, in the trailer. We, we did get a little look at that costume, but you and I were talking about this off the air. How much can you really screw up Black Panther's costume? Right. You know, I know that we're supposed to be rah-rah over everything now that Marvel does, yeah. but hi, I mean, do we really think that it was going to be that different? They were going to screw it up that much? I'm not saying I don't like it. I actually think it's really cool. I like the streaks on the on the actual uh, mask piece and on the helmet piece. I think that's really neat. I just don't think... I mean, unless he came out in footy pajamas or something like that, I, I don't see how I don't see how you screw that up. Isn't that what really costumes don't. are though? Footy pajamas? They're just I I, I mean I guess I mean, but I'm just saying if he came out in the Underoos version of the Black Panther costume, <laughs> I think I think that might have made some people upset. But other than that, I don't really see how you could screw it up. Can you imagine if there was like a superhero strip club and it's like instead of like wearing the costume, they just wore like the Underoo versions? Tell me, that probably exists somewhere. We just don't know about it right now. We just don't know about it. Then continuing with D23, of course, Star Wars is a big thing of Disney. Now, before we get into the Rogue One photo and the cast, Disney's CEO, Bob Iger, dropped a pretty big bomb jam in terms of uh, theme parks. Yeah, and it looks like we're getting a Star Wars land not just on the West Coast in Anaheim, but on the East Coast as well. Now, it's it's funny because you had a tweet uh, earlier this week about how, you know, it was on me Monday, actually, yeah. where you said uh, the Fantastic Beasts, the Harry Potter Park is announced, and then they decided to just build Star Wars land, which is like, what was it, like 14 acres or something like they're gonna that? Be, yeah, they're gonna, each, each Star Wars land, there's going to be an extension on, I want to say it's going to be like MGM Studios, like in Orlando and stuff like that, or stuff like that. But anyways, yeah, uh, they're going to be 14 acres a piece. And yeah, it's kind of like they looked at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and said, we can make ours bigger. Yeah, and it's funny too because I could just picture myself. I know there's some huge Harry Potter nerds there. I'm not really one of them, and I know that there are. I am. go to Disney and spend the entire day in Harry Potter land. I could see going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean Universal? Universal, I'm sorry. I was to say, there's going to be some Harry Potter. Like, you motherfuckers, it's 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 right there. Um, <laughs> so, no, it literally is. It's like, it's right there. I mean, you could, you could throw something from Disney and hit Universal. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I could see going and spending at least an entire day just in Star Wars land. I, my mind Not explodes even. trying to think of all the stuff that could be in there. Well, I mean, I was talking to Cody about this. I think me, you and Cody should, I think we should plan a trip within the next year or so when it comes out, when it opens all and I'm saying is, by the time it opens, Jameson will be old enough to appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, and, man. And uh, boy's going to want to see some Star Wars. And I, I think that uh, Daddy's going to accommodate him. There. Well, the thing is, it's 14 acres. So, of course, you know, and I said, like, each place is going to have, like, its own character. Like, you walk to a restaurant, you're going to be served by characters of that world, not by, like, humans. Pretty much. Well, it's going to have the real-life atmosphere, which is pretty cool. Here's the problem, though. If you've got a stormtrooper serving you, aren't they going to go to the wrong table every time? 
Yeah, that's that is true. <laughs> well, you certainly don't want him cooking because the food's going to end up on the floor too. Darth, so. Darth Vader's behind the bar, like using the force to like pour drinks and like mix oh, drinks. If they could figure out a way to make that work, to where you could have Darth Vader's your waiter and it forces the food over to your table. <laughs> Man, I would lose it. I wouldn't even care about eating at that point. Somebody, somebody complains that like your steak is too cold, and Darth Vader just force chokes at the table. Hopefully, there's not a. a, a bowl full of those frogs that Jabba had at each table, though, instead of bread or something, because that would be a little weird. Yeah, it would be a little weird, but I mean, let's continue to Rogue One. So, of course, the cast photo was released. Of course, the cast includes Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Alan Tudyk, Mads Mikkelsen, Forrest Whitaker, and Reese Ahmed. I like how Forrest Whitaker is just kind of tucked in the middle there, where that's kind of a big name to have. Yeah. I mean, that's that would be one of the first names I would put, but yet they kind of neatly tucked him Right in the middle, but I'm I'm excited for this cast, and mostly because not just to Felicity Jones, because I think she's going to do a great job in Forrest Whitaker, Alan Tudyk. Good yeah. for you, man. I mean, you go for the get that Firefly fandom in there. Not that Star Wars needed any help, but he just makes sense in the Star Wars universe to me. The one person I'm more excited about out of all these is Mads Mikkelsen because I watch Hamble and I've you know you've seen him in Casino Royale, and you're kind of like. I wonder who he's going to play. And it's kind of like, you know, I know. You see the, yeah, it's like you see the Rogue One cast, where you're kind of like, do these people ever know what a shower is? Like, is there a, a steam <laughs> bath, you know, in a galaxy far away? Like, I understand they look like, like they're going for the whole, we're going to steal the Death Star plans. We're kind of like, you know, the bounty hunters esque kind of thing. But. Well, I mean, think about it. It's not like in any of these movies you ever hear anybody go, you know what? I know we're being attacked by the Empire, but I need to shower real quick. Yeah. I mean, you don't see it like when Hoth is being bombarded. You don't see Leia coming out of the shower going, well, what's going on? They're everywhere. Well, in that case, she'd be pelted to death by hail. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that would be a problem. That would be a problem. But again, it's going to be directed by Gareth Edwards. And, you know, again, I'm excited for this. And I think that this is the type of movie that a lot of fans want. Like, especially when we talked about Disney first acquiring Star Wars and they said, you know, we're going to do episode seven. And we're like, well, we want movies that don't deal with the Jedi universe, that deal more right. with, like, you know, the bounty hunters and other things. And this was actually, I think, a, a good way of kind of giving folks a little bit of a taste of that. What's funny is, is when they first announced this movie, I was so excited. But then I thought to myself, this is the Star Wars movie we didn't even know we wanted. Yeah. <clears throat> and they just gave it to us. We, we had all this speculation. Remember when, when the, all these announcements were made that they were going to make other films that would stand alone. We speculated all over the place. Never once did we think, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if they made a movie about the plans to, to destroy the Death Star, to steal the plans? Never thought of that. But then when they announced, we are like, you know what? Well, That's no. a great friggin' idea. Well, I mean, remember, remember in A New Hope, the reason why Darth Vader invades Leia's ship is because the plans right. were, were stolen, uploaded. So Exactly, but we never thought in a million years that we'd ever get a movie saying how that could have happened. Right. Which is, so it's be, I love that. Before we move on, one quick weird thing is going to be is when these new movies come out, primarily, well, mostly now, I mean, with Rogue One especially, because you know, it goes right before A New Hope, see these like high-def movies and go back uh -huh. and watch the old, you know, original trilogy, you know? See, it's a problem with these movies, too, I think, a little bit, because now they kind of had have, to me, more canon to follow yeah. than the newer movies, because you're leading up to A New Hope now. Yeah. So you actually have to follow 
what happens in A New Hope. You cannot deviate from that at all. There's no deviation. Yeah. So you have to follow that precisely. Exactly. So a quick, quick run, we're not going to get into it, but quick run over of Pixar's uh, thing. They, had, you know, they showed Zootopia, Finding Dory, and The Last Dinosaur were highlighted. Uh, Zootopia comes out March 4, 2016. And Toy Story 4, I talked about it. I'm still pissed they're doing a Toy Story 4 because Toy Story 3 ended so beautifully. Yeah, I don't know why they would do and that. And they're going to make Toy Story 4 a fucking prequel, a romantic prequel between Woody and Bo Peep. God damn you, Pixar. What the fuck? I do love the the good dinosaur. It looks like it's going to be really good. Uh, Finding Dory. I'm actually glad they're doing another Finding Nemo, even though I think that movie can stand on its own. This is one of those movies where I feel like it's not going to be like a Lion King 2. Yeah, so I want to kind of put an end to D23 or D23 talk uh, with this story. So I don't know if I told you this Finding Nemo story. Uh, when I was, I want to say I was in high school when Finding Nemo came out on DVD. Um, maybe I was a freshman in college. Anyways, my mom got me Finding Nemo for Christmas. And she didn't realize that one of Nemo's fins, especially his right fin, is smaller than his left. Mm-hmm. So imagine her shock and kind of her uneasiness when we're watching it. And she sees it. And she, after the movie's over, she goes, oh, my God. I go, what? She goes, I'm so sorry. I didn't know his, <laughs> I didn't know his right fin was smaller than his left fin. So then for the next couple of days, she started calling me Nemo instead of Nicholas. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, that's just that's just pretty fantastic. <laughs> but you know, speaking of fantastic, what's also fantastic is I think, James, these studios are, like, are listening to the show because a few weeks ago we were talking about Justice League Gods and Monsters. We were talking mm-hmm. about how badly it must suck to work at an insurance company in Metropolis and Gotham. And, well, this is happening. Yeah, if you don't believe us, go back a couple episodes and listen to our review of Justice League Gods and Monsters because NBC just picked up a pilot for a show that's going to be called Powerless. It's basically going to be a half-hour single-camera comedy series set in the DC Universe, all this reported by Deadline. Now, it's going to be created by Ben Queen, who did A to Z, and it's going to be about one of the worst insurance companies (laughs) in the United States. I don't really know that we need to say much more than that. And the show will focus on working life of normal humans in the DC universe. Which, bravo, it's it's a great <laughs> idea. I think it's going to be hilarious. I can't wait to watch it. I'm just sitting here going, hey, what the hell, man? I mean, come on. Did we not call dibs or something? Should we have? Do we need to start <laughs> trademarking everything we say? Because, come on, guys. That was a quick turnaround. But in all seriousness... I can't believe this hasn't been done already. I think we talked about that when we did the Justice League Gods and Monsters review. It, I think it's going to be hilarious. I don't know how much actual costume heroes we're going to see. Probably we won't. Maybe they'll use clips from the movies and TV shows or I something. Know. I don't know. I just think that this is going to be a funny idea. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? You know what? I just thought of this. It's going to be in the DC Universe. This is a way they can introduce characters like Booster Gold and yep. Blue Beetle and, you know, lesser-known, you know, C, maybe D-list characters. You know, of course, mentioning, like, you know, Superman did this. But it's just, it's going to be great. I, I can't wait to watch it. I, I kind of wish that we were in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But one of the great things I think is going to be about this show, yeah. do you know how much fan service is going to be in this show? Oh, so much. And that's what's going to make it funny. I think this is DC's chance to really overdo it with the fan service and, and make that be the reason it's funny. Yeah, or can you imagine like, there's a scene where they're watching, like they're trying to go over like 
you know, Wayne Enterprises uh, insurance claim, and they're watching, like, scenes from Man of Steel, like the whole Zod and Superman uh-huh. fight scene. And they're like, yeah, well, this happened, so we got to cross this off and everything else. And, yeah, oh, my God. Can't imagine the turnaround rate in that, in that company, dude. I mean, I, I can see this as being one of those shows that finally brings the the famous comedy block back to NBC. Well, I think that they're, they're, since The Office, since Steve, I'm sorry, but The Office was never good since Steve Carell left. I think they were still looking for something to replace that and to kind of take it into that office foray. Yeah, they tried to use Dwight, and that didn't really work out so well. And, yeah. yeah, but again, this is a way of saying, hey, we can bring back, you know, Parks and Rec is gone, so it's like we need that single cam kind of a thing, you know, where they're breaking that fourth wall and just talking to the camera and stuff. So and what's going to be great about this is this will also be funny for people who hate the fact that there's so much superhero stuff going I on. I know. Because it'll, it's their opportunity to, like, poke fun at it right along with us, whereas we're laughing for it and they're laughing at it kind of yeah. thing. So I think this is actually going to appeal to more than just the nerd crap. Exactly. And uh, our final story is kind of a, a somber story. Well, this is a somber story. Uh, as you know, we're both big fans of Batman and, and DC and everything else. Well, uh, we were big fans of the Batman 60s show, of course, with Adam West and, and everyone else that was part of it. Well, Yvonne Craig, who was a prolific actress who was best known for her role as Batgirl on the Batman show in the 1960s, has passed away. She passed away Thursday, according to her website. She actually died from complications brought about from breast cancer that actually mesmerized her liver. Uh, she also played Marta, the green Orion slave girl who wanted to kill Captain Kirk from the third mm-hmm. season of Char- Star Trek. It was in the episode of, called uh, Whom Gods Destroy. And she was also in a bunch of all the different things. She was in the Mod Squad and Six Million Dollar Man. And she worked uh, opposite of a lot of big names. I mean, Bing Crosby, Salmoneo, Don Knotts, George Hamilton, Dennis Hopper, as well as Elvis Presley and James Coburn. So, I mean, a very... You know, uh, look at our, our friend Matt Slay's Facebook the other night when he was talking about this. I mean, it's a very uh, big hit in, in the nerd world. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know this. She was actually a ballerina as well. Yeah. So that actually helped give her her fighting skills for Batman 66 and some of the other stuff that she was in. I just remember every time I watched Batman 66 when I was younger, and of course I'm not old enough to have been there when the shows were first aired, but it was in pretty good syndication in the 80s. Every time I'd watch it, Anytime you saw the Batgirl cycle in yeah. the opening of the show, you were excited. You were like, oh, awesome, this is going to be a Batgirl episode because it always added that little bit of something extra. For some reason, those episodes always seemed to be that much better. And she just did such a good job, not just as Batgirl, but as Barbara Gordon and kind of hiding it from her dad and stuff like that. I just always loved Von Craig in, in Batman 66. I can't say that I remember her from a lot of the other stuff she did, except for the Star Trek thing. I do remember that. But yeah, she was just one of those people that no matter how you feel about the Batman 66 show, captured Barbara Gordon so well. Oh, yeah. That it was almost like you haven't really seen Barbara Gordon in anything live action since because it's just so hard to capture that character. And she's done that. As a matter of fact... um. I was talking to, I was uh, tweeting with Babs Tarr, who does the art for Batgirl now, and I think that the new Batgirl suit was in some way inspired by the '66 Batman oh, show. Oh, most definitely. When they and, went with the whole route with the the purple and the boots yeah. and everything else. Oh, definitely, that was uh, a big you know shout out to the '66 show. And 
you know, if you're somebody who's reading a Batman 66 comic, even a Batgirl comic, it makes you wonder, I think they're probably going to do this, uh, to have some sort of in memoriam, I think. I think that they will. I think that, especially in the Batman 66 comic, which I believe is still going on. Yeah. Uh, they'll definitely do something like that. Or maybe they'll do a one-shot Batgirl, uh, just a Batgirl 66 story for that. I think that would be a really cool thing to do. Actually, um, Jameson has these little, like, thumb figures that you can get from Fisher Price that yeah. are that are DC figures. One of them is Batgirl. Yeah. And it is the 66 Batgirl outfit to a T, even down to the hair, everything. He for some reason he loves playing with that Batgirl figure. As a matter of fact, he has this little house. Now I don't want to get too much off on a tangent here. He will put Batgirl in the house and Robin in the house and Batman in the house and shut the door. <laughs> Every time, I don't know why or how he knows. The kids got instincts. <laughs> Every time. It's it's just so fun to see that the Batgirl... Her Batgirl has lived on for so long. Yeah. And I don't think until the New 52, they really did a, a really big reboot of the Batgirl character. I think that was the first one they did. But her Batgirl was such a staple in the DC Universe because she got it so right. And I think that's a legacy to leave behind. It is. And it's just... Not only is it a legacy, but it's a tough legacy for, you know, for... If in the future films with Warner Bros. in DC that they want to do some iteration of Batgirl, you know, you got something to live up to. I mean, oh, definitely, yeah. You know, I mean, Batman, I mean, you had Adam West and stuff like that. I mean, but it's different. Like with Batman, you had Adam West, but again, people just look at Adam, the Adam West Batman and say, well, it was more of a hokiness and stuff yeah. like that to it. But with the Batgirl, they're real outside, like Alicia Silverstone and Batman and Robin. There really wasn't anybody else playing Batgirl. It wasn't like you know with Batman, you had Val Kilmer and Keaton and George Clooney. But you know, uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you look at it and you look at Batgirl. And you're like, yeah, there really wasn't any other iteration before Alicia Silverstone's poor portrayal. <laughs> and 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 you almost don't even count that, you know, because yeah. it never felt right. It's like know? a bar that you feel that you know it, because actors actresses today are really really good today. Not saying they were in the past, but today they're more, I think, uh, in the spotlight. I think. Yeah. In terms of, of roles, and we're getting social a lot media, more man. I mean, yeah, that's man. got a lot to do with it. Exactly, and. You know, you look at this, the bar has been set, and it's got to be, it's, it's kind of, I think, a, a tall bar to, to leap. Yeah, and that was one of Alicia Silverstone's failings. She couldn't live up to Yvonne Craig's portrayal. Well, 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 a lot was wrong with her portrayal, a lot that, that, was wrong with that movie. That's true, but again, that's, a, like you said, that's a high standard to live up to. Like, I think Michael Keaton set the bar with Batman. Exactly. In the, in the Burton film, so that was that had to be lived up to at some point. Yeah, and he, speaking of high standards, we here at Down Nerdy have some high standardized palettes yes. in terms of movies that we see and in terms of cooking overall. So we figure, hey, we're going to be joined by Dexter Darden of the Maze Runner series. You can also see him in the Maze Runner Scorch Trials, which comes out September 18th. So stick around. Our interview with Dexter Darden, a.k.a. Fry Pants, come up next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book writer on Mars. You are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Well, we're sure you're a fan of the hugely popular Maze Runner series, not just the books, but the movies as well. As a matter of fact, we just happen to have one of the stars of the Maze Runner series on this week. It's Fry Pan himself, Dexter Darden. Dexter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Good, man. So I saw you went to London for the first time last month. What was it like, man? I did, man. I did. It was amazing. It was so amazing. I'm being able to visit overseas for my first time in Europe, so... Being able to visit overseas and promote Maze Runner, but also spend some time with some friends and loved ones, it was 
it was fantastic. Europe has a lot of great things to offer. So speaking of the Maze Runner, for anybody that might not know or hasn't seen or read the books yet, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your character, Frypan? Yes, yeah, so I play Frypan, um, who in the book, in the movies, actually, in the, like especially in the DVD movies, um, he is he's the, the chef of the Glade, he's the cook of the Glade. He's one of the main keepers in the Glade, and the Glade has five keepers, uh, Minho, Albi, Newt. Uh, galley and Frypan, and I play Frypan, who is the keeper of the cooks, and so my job is in the glade is to keep everybody fed and hungry and happy. And then when Thomas comes, who's played by John O'Brien, our main protagonist, he uh, he kind of befriends Frypan and a couple of the other gladers because he senses that something's up. And that's what happens in the first Maze Runner, and then the story just continues in Frypan's arc fortunately continues to grow in the second one, which is in score shots, which will be out September 18th. So prior to your role, Dexter, as Frypan the Maze Runner, you were actually in Cadillac Records, a lot of other um, projects that are more music-centric. So how being in a series like Maze Runner helped you grow as an actor? Well, it's been great because I've never really had the opportunity to do like an action film. I mean, you know, growing up as a kid, like especially being a comic book geek and a nerdy kind of kid, uh, you 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 wish and you hope to be able to be in an action film and be that guy who's running up mountains or be that guy who gets the opportunity to whoop somebody's butt. And um, you know, yeah. being in Maze Runner, uh, that's allowed me the opportunity to do so. Um, I love music. I love theater. I love stage. I love I love that whole art form in general because that's how I was brought up, listening to music and singing in church and those kind of things. So um, I loved being able to be a part of those films like Joyful Noise, Cadillac Records. But um, now being in Maze Runner, I hope that people will see me in a little bit more of a dramatic and serious light, and I hope to be able to continue to do roles that allow me to do so. Definitely, and it's one of those series that already has a pretty big following because, of course, the books came out first. And i got to ask you, did you read the books before the series, before you got signed on to the role? And have any fans spoiled <laughs> anything for you about your character? Uh, you know what? I hadn't. I hadn't read the books, got to be honest. Um, my cousins are avid fans, and I mean avid fans, I mean like they've read every book multiple times and they have pins and all that kind of crazy stuff. And so when I found out that I got the role uh, as Frypan, uh, my cousins were way more excited. Like, you know, I was excited. I was like, hey, I'm just doing another job, and I had no idea what kind of journey I was, I was going on. But my cousins seemed to end up the excitement for me and let me know, like, yo, what you're doing, kid, is really serious. And so um, I've just been able to be fortunate enough to seize the opportunity and just keep taking it one day at a time. Exactly. One of the great opportunities you had in the Scorch Trials is you got to work with Giancarlo Esposito. What was your favorite part about yeah. working with him, and what kind of advice did he give you, if any? Well, I'm sure if you ask any other cast, any other, other cast members, Giancarlo and I are a lot alike. And um, I don't know if it's because I'm being East Coast boys or whatever, but his... His energy, like, I'm, I'm definitely one of the cast members who's always trying to bring the positive energy and, and always trying to keep, you know, not just everybody's spirits motivated and uplifted, but, you know, just trying to let everybody know, like, hey, I'm always here to have a good time. And Giancarlo is the same way. He's very loud, very robust. But the one thing I did learn about from Giancarlo and and many of the other new actors who we added, like Barry Pepper and, and of course, Patricia Clarkson's back. And so what you learn from them is just that sense of professionalism as well like how to be able to have a good time, but never is their material not ready. Never are they not prepared. Never are they, like, they're always ready to go. 
and they're always ready to be beneficial as well to others. Like just giving us advice. Sean Carl would pull me aside sometimes and, and give me advice and we do a take and Wes would like it, but Giancarlo would come pull me over and be like, Hey, that take was great. Let's try it this way. And so we would just do that just to be able to bounce creative ideas off of each other, which is something that my peers, you know, like the guys, my cat, my cast members, my, my family from before, from the first Maze Runner, we would do that. But now to have somebody who's of his age and experience to be along with us on the ride, he's been around for a long time. And so to be able to have him here with on, on the new cast and joining, it's just been fantastic. It's going to be great seeing him in the series going forward. Actually, in the latest trailer, we actually saw a flashback to a young Thomas. So that got me thinking, are we going to get maybe a little bit more about Frypan's backstory a little bit from when he was younger in this next movie? Well, you know what? We, we, get, a lot of, we get a big backstory about a lot of the characters, um, which, is, which is great because, you know, you learned a little bit about, a little bit about Galley and Newt and Albie in the first movie, but... There's other characters who are pivotal to the franchise who you also come in contact with more so in Scorch Trials. And so you get to learn a little bit more about Fry Pan and you get to learn a little bit more about Minho especially too and the other characters who, who, you, who, who you've fallen in love with but you still have questions about. And so those are the, that's something that I really, really like about Scorch Trials. And moving forward into Death Cure, you get to find out even more information about all of us. So it's really great. We're talking to Dexter Darden, of course, the Maze Runner School series. He's going to be in Maze Runner Scorch Trials. So, Dexter, I want to kind of go back to a previous thing we talked about a little bit on set. You said you always want to be that guy to keep things, you know, upbeat and everything else. So, given the overall seriousness and the suspense-filled theme of these movies, what did you do to unwind when the cameras weren't rolling? Well, I mean, Dylan, I would definitely say Dylan O'Brien and I are the class clowns. We're always having a good time, always trying to make somebody laugh. And so, you know, we would crack jokes. And we also played a lot of Mario Kart. Um, really? Yeah, there enough. you go. Who's yeah, your character yeah, yeah. of choice? Um, we, we created our own memes. Our own memes. <laughs> our own memes. <laughs> nice. So we, we all have our own memes. I bring my Wii to set sometimes, or I bring it down to the hotel or to our apartment, wherever we're staying. And, like, we would come home from work, and we just put the Nintendo on, and we just play a whole bunch of Mario Kart, and we just race against each other, chill, talk about life, talk about what happened on set, and just kind of unwind in the most fun way we know possible, and that's Mario Kart tournaments. That's awesome. Of course, you said you and Dylan O'Brien were, were very are very tight, and he was actually in the running to play Spider-Man for a little bit there, and you said you grew up a nerd yourself, so I, I can't help but wonder, with all the superhero movies and stuff that are going on right now, if you could pick one role for yourself to jump into either maybe a Marvel or a DC, who would Dexter Darden want to play right now? My favorite by far is Spider-Man. Like I, I, I have a little nephew, and he, I have him convinced that Uncle Dex, when he's not around, He's Spider-Man. I'm actually drinking <laughs> hot tea out of the Spider-Man cup. Yeah, I'm drinking hot tea out of the Spider-Man cup as we speak. But um, so when when I saw that they were recasting Spider-Man, I know I'm a pretty big guy. I'm six one and you know one ninety. So so I know I'm not necessarily the right build for Spider-Man. But just that little hope that they were going to make Miles Morales happen, just that little thing was just enough for me to be like, I need an audition. Um, but before, but of course, even with Tom, and he's a great actor as well. So. But um, let me think. I would also really, really like the opportunity to play, uh, I want to say Bishop. I think I would like to play Bishop, too. Ooh, I think nice. Bishop would be pretty dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know that I, I believe somebody, Omar C, just played him in, in Days of Future Past. But I would like to play Bishop. I'd like to add a new twist to that. 
And I'm excited that they're rebooting X-Men, you know what I mean? I like that they're bringing Storm back, Jean Grey back, mm-hmm. and all these in, in Apocalypse. So hopefully they add some new roles. And uh, we'll see We'll see what happens. So here's a question for you. Would you rather bull ride yeah. a griever or have dinner with a crank? Oof. Uh, uh, bull ride a griever. That sounds <laughs> wow. like a fantastic time. I feel like if I were to have dinner with a crank, I would be the dinner. Yeah. So at least when I'm bull riding a griever, we can see how long I get to be on that griever for. It just reminds me of that line that you had in the first Maze Runner movie where, like, I don't want to stick around to meet this guy's buddy. Yeah, I, I don't want to meet his friends. I don't want to do that. That's not cool to me. So, Let's get out of here. So given, of course, they've got the cranks coming and the Scorch Trials coming up on September the 18th, it's going to be in theater. So what was the most terrifying scene to shoot in that movie without giving too much away? Oh, man. Oh, that's that's a good question. I'm going to let people know now. I think now is the time to let people know that Scorch Trials is intense. Um, for those of you who thought Maze Runner was intense, which it was, I say we kick it up at least about 45 to 60% wow. of the intensity wow. level. And... Um, no, and everybody, I would say 100%, but that would just be absurd. But the intensity grows because now you're following all these kids on this crazy journey. So there was a point in time where we would be filming in the basement of some warehouse and getting traced by cranks or even the stuff like the physical outdoor stuff. Like I know in the trailer scene, you see a lot of scenes of us running up sand dunes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like those are, keep in mind that those are, hundred foot, maybe hundred plus more, hundred plus more sand dunes in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's us running up those sand dunes. That's wow. not stunt doubles. That's no, that's no doubles. That's no CGI. That's really us and Wes and like Wes telling us, I think it'd be better if it was you guys, us running up those sand dunes eight times for each take. Wow. That'll get you in Spider-Man so, shape real quick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all we we all left set like, whoa, what? Look at me. What's so, look, we're looking all kind of so my you, pants not chubby anymore. Uh, so when you were on set, like, I mean, kind of piggybacking off of James's question, did they tell you like, okay, this is gonna be a scene where a crank pops out at you or anything like that, or did they just let you go in blind to get that you know real what? reaction? You know what? Sometimes Wes would, sometimes he wouldn't. There's a scene where we're running when you see that lightning bolt scene. Yeah. That lightning, that scene that in the trailer of us running from those lightning bolts. Yeah. So I'm sure in the behind the scenes you'll see, we were told what areas we could go in and out of and not to go, like not to run past this area, but we weren't told where the lightning bolts were going to go off. Oh. So oh, every wow. reaction you see when you see us running, every reaction you see is an organic, real... We had no idea that they were happening. Wow. How important is that when you're shooting a movie like this to get that natural reaction? How important is that to kind of make the performance more real? Well, one thing I can say about mostly all of us, I think all of us now, especially in this in Maze Runner 2, none of us come from classical training. Like, none of us are theatrically trained, you know, go to drama school. Mm-hmm. acting class actors you know we've all been fortunate enough to work but that's because we're all just like to bring that real element you know we're all guys who just find the real the beauty and realness in acting and so that's never something that i would say that we all struggled with because all of our performances are kind of derived from a real place and that's what made the first race runner so good because you can really relate to these kids mm-hmm. and i think it crosses over in scores trials for sure 
So, Dexter, finish this sentence. Cranks make you feel what? Cringy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, they, they, they cringe me out. Like, you know how, like, if you see a guy who's trying to talk to a girl at the bar and he's not getting anywhere, like, he's yeah. not yeah. doing yeah. it, right? Yeah. And you just kind of get that, like, I feel bad for uh. <laughs> Yeah. And they're, like, cringy are scary, but also they're just, like, when you see one, you're just kind of like, uh, why? How? <laughs> <What? Yeah>. Really? <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, wow. Oh, so, man. So your character's name is Fry Pan, but I find it funny that we never actually see you cook a damn thing. So uh, my question I is, know. is can you cook in real life, and what's your go-to um, dish? So, uh, well, part of the reason why, we did shoot a lot of things at the Fry Pan Hut. Um, Maze Runner is unfortunately one of those movies that is a great film. Fantastic. But a lot of the moments that Wes, or the producers or the cast would like to see end up being cut because of, you know, time and because it's not necessarily beneficial to the main yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not top to the chef. Wide story. Yeah, but so, yeah. if you go in and if you, watch, if you buy the Maze Runner DVD or Blu-ray, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that we shot of fry pan cooking, and you get to see a lot of those scenes, like the first time Thomas tries bacon, you get to see the first time, like, fry pan calls the order and everybody's coming to line nice. up the fry pan's hut and getting food. So all those behind the scenes stuff that we shot are on the DVD of the first Maze Runner. So you can definitely see those extras or watch the extended cut and all those scenes will be in that as well. But um, I can cook. I love to cook. I'm, um, I've been told that I'm a really, really fantastic cook. I cook for my lady all the time. And so she, uh, so, you know, I love to cook. It's something that yeah. I've been doing since I was young. My mom taught me how to cook when I was a, when I was a youngin. So um, I cook all the time. My favorite thing to cook, my go-to dish is probably my barbecue ribs. Oh, oh yes, my, there it uh, is. Yeah, yeah. Last year we were doing press in Philadelphia, which is like right near my hometown, right where I grew up in New Jersey. So um, all the cast came over to my house. And um, we, I gave him, like, a traditional barbecue. You know, and some of my classmates are from London, so Thomas, Will, and Kaya, they never really had an American barbecue. So I did ribs, I did chicken, I did burgers, and we did corn and cob, macaroni and cheese, all that kind of stuff. And so wow. That, oh, my God. I am hungry now. Yeah, dude. I like, know. Oh, I know. So good. So, Dexter, where can people reach you on social media, man? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Dexter Darden. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Dexter Darden as well. And those are primarily my main two. Um, I do have a YouTube page, which I'm starting up now, and I have a Facebook if you just type in Dexter Darden. But if you want to find out more about me, really follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm constantly posting updates. I'm going to be posting more updates about score trials and other things that I have coming out of the projects that I have coming out as well. So, you know, just want to keep the fans as posted as possible. Well, we're going to be looking for you in the Maze Runner Scorch Trial. is going to be released in theaters on September the 18th. And, of course, like you mentioned, September first movie. 18th. That's right. And the first movie is out on Blu-ray and DVD and video on demand if you want to catch it out right now. Also on HBO as well, if you happen to have HBO. That's Fry Pan himself, Dexter Darden. Dexter, thank you so much for taking the time this week. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So remind me, James, whenever there's a lightning storm to tell me when the bolts are going to hit and where. I will let you know exactly where they're going to be so there'll be no surprises. Yeah, can you, dude, that's just got to be insane to be on set like that and then be like, okay, we're not going to tell you what's going to happen or where things are going to happen. So just get those legit, you know, 
things. That's how you want to do it as an actor and oh, as yeah. a director. You want those natural reactions to it. But Dexter coming on again, thanks to him, and goes to the Maze Runner Scorch Trials coming out September 18th. And the thing is about this movie is, you know, we watched the first Maze Runner, and again, it just it amps up. It keeps your attention going. And when he said we amped it about 60%, like, dude. I can't is, even imagine. No. That movie's going to be insane, if that's the case, based on the first. If you haven't seen the first Maze Runner movie, seriously. go out. I know Cody talked about the books uh, on our 50th episode, live from Dave and & Buster's, and he loves the books. And the movies are... Just great. So go see the Scorch Trials and go see the first movie. Absolutely. But unfortunately, our little credits are about to roll because we have come to a close on episode 75. Exactly. And again, we want to thank Dexter Darden from Maze Runner Series for coming on and talking to us this week. Also, I want to thank Bob of Fancy Escape Comics and Cards as well for sponsoring us each week, week in, week out. Now, don't forget... You can go to our fa- our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy, post some of your stuff you want, ask us questions if you'd like. Also, you can click the shop button, which will take you right to our Amazon store, where you can shop our store, help support the podcast and us as well. We're on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm, James. I'm at James Ace with them. And don't forget, you can always go to on- go online to our website, downnerdypodcast.com. All the information on this week's shows. If you want to go to past shows and binge listen, you can also do that there. Find us on social media, stuff from our Amazon store. It is all there in one place. You can also contact us right there on the page. Maybe something for Cosplay Tuesday that you want to send us or you've got a fan question. You could do that as well. Exactly. Don't forget we have a toll-free number you can call 24 hours a day. It's 757-512-8229. You call that number and you leave a met, you leave a fan comment or a fan question. We will air your fan question over the air. So you will technically be on the show. So, again, more incentive to call us at 757-512-8229. Leave us your question and we'll answer it for you. But as always, I leave you with this, nerds. Always pay a safe comic book greeting. Always bag and board your comics. <laughs>